0: Hey, everybody. Before we get started today, I want to talk about something I think all of you are really going to like. We are hosting a live event with Senator Amy Klobuchar on big tech regulation, followed by a panel on the future of Section 230 on March 1st. That's next week. It's coming right up. Senator Klobuchar will also be taking live questions from the audience. It's going to be very in-depth, very weedsy, exactly what you would expect from us. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Really hope to see you there. This week, our new mobile reporter, Alison Johnson, joins me in Dieter to talk about 5G, where it is, where it's going. Ashley Carman joins us, to talk about everything Spotify is doing, a little bit of Twitter and Apple Fitness Plus review. And then Julia Alexander comes on to talk about Paramount Plus. That's coming up now. Hello and welcome to the flagship podcast of dynamic spectrum sharing. (laughs) That'd be great. Every time I do this, I'm like, maybe we should be the flagship podcast. But anyway, I'm Neil.
1: I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm I'm that uh, I don't know. I won't leave respect. I've I got nothing. I'm here. Hi. Uh, great. <laughs> Sorry. We uh, we're gonna have a lot of people join us today. Ashley Carmen's gonna
0: join us, Julia Alexander's gonna join us, and right now our new mobile reporter, Allison Johnson, is here. Hey Allison. Hello. Uh, it's it's your first time. Very excited. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. So we have a lot of 5G and spectrum news to talk about with Allison, but before we start, as always, I want to just give an update on our COVID coverage, still the biggest story in the world. Lots going on on the vaccine front this week. Uh, Johnson & Johnson single shot vaccine only needs one shot, not two, is effective, confirmed by the FDA. There's going to be some delays in rolling that out and manufacturing it, but that is huge news. It's a big deal. The Other vaccines require two shots, and now there's a bunch of discussion over how long you can go between the first shot and the second shot. We have a big story on that on the site. You should go read. Um, The vaccines themselves are starting to work. We are seeing cases and deaths drop across the United States. That is very exciting news. Hopefully, we're coming through it. At the same time, we're still seeing uh, people get a little too, I don't know how you put this, a little too eager, a little too fast. So, um, I keep talking about second-order effects of the pandemic. This is like a fifth-order effect. Uh, Mobile World Congress, which is the cell phone show that we cover every year, canceled last year. They are definitely going to hold another one in person in Barcelona this year,
1: which just does not seem very smart. Mobile World Congress was the first big tech event that we went. Nope, this was before yep. it became like obvious. Obvious they. They said that they were going to hold it. We said, we're not going. And everyone's like, you're crazy. How come you're not going? And then, oh, yeah, now we, we were, that was the right call.
0: So, Nicole wrote this story about MWC saying they were going to do it. The MWC people wrote us an email. They're like, we're going to be safe. We're testing. And then we, like, they're upset that we said that they were going to hold it and they shouldn't yet. I firmly believe that. If you want to go, that's, you know, you can do, you do you. But we're so close to the finish line. The vaccines are working. More vaccines are being rolled out. Maybe just wait until the finish line. That's my personal view. Anyhow, that's the big COVID update. It's still the biggest story in the world. I want to commend our science team as every, I do every week uh, for covering it
1: as deeply as they do. Actually, can I add one more? Um, yeah. So this uh, this medical services company I use is called One Medical. It's like a really convenient way to get you know doctors' appointments and stuff. Uh, they got caught giving vaccines to ineligible people, uh, which is very bad. Um, There's also a thing going around uh, out here in the Bay Area where there were some early access codes to get vaccines that were meant for frontline workers. And somehow they started getting spread around as text messages separate from that context. So people were getting these codes from friends uh, thinking that they were there as spare vaccines that were going to go to waste. And so people went and got the vaccines when technically they were ineligible and took vaccines away from people that needed them more. So as like the vaccine rollout continues, it's continuing to be messy. And you should definitely go to official government sources to find out if you're eligible and how to get one and not a uh, random group texts. Yeah.
0: I mean, I just want to get vaccinated. I like, yeah. I, I, I read this story and it's <laughs> bad. And like the line jumping and the being connected to a company, like that's all icky. Yeah. But hopefully like that ickiness is just a short term. Yeah. Cause otherwise we're going
1: to, people are going to be afraid. They're going to feel guilty and they're not going to do it. No, I agree. But like, you should, you should not jump the line, but if, but I also if, – if a line jump happens, that's better than not getting the vaccine at all. That's true. I think a, a, a difference in our perspectives here is that you
0: live in a city with access to testing and resources and the, the potential of getting vaccinated. And I, I live in the woods and I <laughs> – my camera – like every morning I get a ring alert that's like a squirrel running across the driveway and it's like a moment for us. Yeah. Um. So – also, I, I think every state but New York is doing a better job of this. So, maybe my perspective is a little warped and that I would – I don't have the opportunity to jump a line. Hmm. Like if the opportunity to be unethical presented itself to me, I, I wouldn't take it. But I would pre- like I'd like the choice. <laughs> Make you even feel good that. about doing the right thing. All right. Speaking. Speaking of complicated systems that don't work quite as well as they should, let's talk about 5 <laughs> I did it. Yeah. Uh, so Allison, you uh, you wrote a, a great piece this week on the state of 5G why it's a little bit slower than we expect, slower than LTE in some cases. And then there was a flood of news about Spectrum. There was a Spectrum auction. T-Mobile and Verizon and Dish are all doing stuff. Let's start at the start. 5G, it's been months since the iPhone 12 came out, since it became a very mainstream product, not living up to its potential.
2: Yeah, so basically where we're at now, um, sort of a mess in the U.S. There's uh a... the situation with low, mid and high band and how um, different networks kind of have different allotments of these things. So Verizon and AT&T are kind of on the back foot. They've got a lot more um, low band spectrum and are having to kind of make do with it. It's not super well suited for 5G but the midband spectrum is kind of what everybody wants to get a hold of right now. It's a little better than four G. It's not quite as fast as the the super fast millimeter wave, but it has like it's like in the sweet spot um, with good range and all that. So so that's been kind of the um, the focus. Getting a hold of that. T Mobile obviously has a lot of it um, from its acquisition of Sprint. So. They've been in this pretty good position of being able to like go ahead and build out their network. So that's kind of where we are right now. It's just, it really struck me as a weird time because it's been hyped up for so long. There's been so much like, you know, CES after CES where it's like 5G is here. It's amazing. It's the best. And really like this year is when people are going to start to see it for themselves a lot more. They're going to get the iPhones are going to get the Galaxy S21s. uh, And they're probably going to be kind of bummed because (laughs) it's not, (laughs) it's definitely not the, the driverless car, remote surgery, amazing future that we've been hearing about. It's kind of sort of faster than 4g if you're lucky and maybe not even
0: yeah i tweeted your story and the number of people who replied to me and said oh i've turned 5g off on my phone because yeah. in real life it is slower than lte mm-hmm. it was just astonishing like maybe in some places that would be true but this was like a widespread reaction And it you touched on this and i made the joke at the top of the show it's related to how they're allocating the spectrum it's related to dss can you mm-hmm. just explain that for people? I mean, I I realize I started the show with a very complicated, wonky term, but can you actually explain <laughs> what that means?
2: Yeah. So the slowness people are seeing where it's slower than 4G is kind of related to mostly what AT&T and Verizon are doing to try and make the most of this low band, uh, the low frequencies that they have access to. So that's where a technology called DSS comes in. Sasha Segan at PCMag was saying it was like, you know, using the leftover odds and ends of their spectrum and slapping a 5G label on it. Like it just... It's not suited for that. And people definitely took notice when, you know, they got their iPhone, they got on the network, it said 5G, and they were pretty pissed that it was not as good as the 4G they were getting. So, yeah, a lot of people turning it off and, you know, annoyed about it. What blows
1: me away about about this is Verizon sort of been the hype master in chief for five G. T-Mobile's been pushing, and they bought Sprint and blah, blah blah. But like on stage at CES, pushing all the stuff, doing all the keynotes. But they have millimeter wave, which is you're, you're lucky to get. Everyone knows that I'm not a fan of millimeter wave yeah. on phones because like you need to stand in one particular spot. And then their actual offering for 5G, which they you know flipped on, is using this spectrum sharing setup, which is one of the reasons it's slower. And it's mind boggling to me because Verizon always had the reputation as like the most reliable, best wireless carrier across the U.S. And they're just they're just shooting themselves in the foot. And what I don't know is it's not a surprise to Hans Vesterberg that Verizon didn't have the spectrum that it really needed to do really good 5G for phones nationwide. That's, like, not a shock. So knowing they didn't have it, why did they do the CES keynotes? Why did they get on stage with Apple and and go rah-rah? Why didn't they just, like, chill for just a minute? Because they need, they want people to churn to Verizon.
0: <laughs> like it's, it's like right, they, they, they the five the G marketing bonanza. Like if you work at an ad agency and you didn't get a taste of those five G dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you made a mistake. Like they were available for everyone the whole time. If you are at Apple and you can con Verizon into paying your marketing budget for the year for the iPhone, yeah, and all you got to do is put Hans on stage, you're taking that deal. Yeah. Verizon's taking that deal. I get it. Like, I, I, Allison, to your point, like you you see the new number on your phone, and you expect it to be better. Like, an absolutely bizarre outcome of this is that because AT and T relabeled their LTE network five G E five G E in some cases is faster than real five G <laughs> because AT and T uses DSS. Like, that is nuts.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, how do you how do you twist yourself into that outcome? Where your, your fake 5G network is worse or is better than your real 5G network. And it is all because they were racing ahead on the marketing curve. Now, I think we, we've we read reports like the iPhone 12s are selling really well. Mm-hmm. The other 5G phones are doing well. I think Samsung's last quarterly earnings are like pretty good. I just think that's all because they look different. Like I think the entire mobile industry is confused that like 5G
1: drove an iPhone cycle. And it's like, nah, dude, they made them square this time. Galaxy Brain, they did that on purpose. They made sure that the 5G cycle (laughs) hit the the, uh, form factor cycle.
0: Yeah, I mean, that the whole, I just think this industry got way out over its keys because the 4G cycle was real, right? Like, people were watching YouTube on their phones and trying to do stuff with their phones on 3G they couldn't do. 4G said, you're going to get to do all the things you want to do. The killer app was very much like video, uh, off to the races, there's still not a killer app for five G that I've heard about or seen really in practice. It's robot surgery and self-driving cars. Right. We'll, we'll see, and so like I, just, I think we're just in this period where we're going to talk about the spectrum auction. Like the networks are actually going to follow the the letters, like in numbers, in a totally backwards way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, Allison, th- this week we there was another flurry of news. Because Verizon, at t are behind. They're doing this DSS stuff. Their networks are maybe not performing as well. t Mobile's like doing okay.
2: Yeah. They're eager to make the most of what they have right now, I think. So that's kind of maybe a reflection on what we saw in the, the T-Mobile news this week was they unveiled a new service plan, which is unlimited. It's called Magenta um, Max. Of course it and, is. And Yeah. <laughs> Max Plus will be coming next. Um,
0: My poor child.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So the big deal with this plan is that it's unlimited, of course, but they've removed the the deprioritization um, kind of data throttling that is just common practice across all other unlimited plans, T-Mobile's included, that when you reach a certain threshold of data usage, you're a pretty heavy user, you get to like 50 gigabytes or whatever, um, and you're on a busy network tower, you'll see your your data speeds deprioritized and slowed down so other people get a shot. So they're doing away with that. They say, on this plan, no strings attached. That's not going to happen. You can have as much 5G as you want. Um, and they are in a position to offer that right now, which Verizon and AT&T are not so much.
1: The other remarkable thing about this plan is, it's so there's no deprioritization, and they're also not uh, doing anything with video uh, quality. Like, if you want to stream 4K, go, go ahead. We don't, we're not going to do anything with that. So most of the unlimited plans had both of those provisos. But there is one, I think, one string attached to this, this Magenta Max plan, Right.
2: Yeah, you, there's still a limit to high-speed data you can get tethered on your device. So I think that's capped at 40 gigabytes. So yeah, there, there's still those little ways that, you know, they're going to make sure you don't get too much out of it, <laughs> but you got you to just keep an eye on the 5 print there.
0: There are no 5G, like, good 5G hotspots for T-Mobile yet, as far as I know, right? Like, one of the promises of 5G was, I'm going to get rid of my home internet connection, and mm-hmm. just run everything over wireless. It is it was a promise of LTE, too. Honestly, it was a promise, promise of, like, WiMAX. Like, every new <laughs> network connection technology, someone tells me that you can disconnect your home broadband and just run it off the cell network, and it is not really true for most people. That tethering restriction feels like, oh, man. Yeah. It might actually be true. Like, this network is relatively fast. It's performant. They just don't want you to, like, download PS5 games on it.
2: Right. Yeah. And they are still piloting the 5G home internet product that they've been talking about for a while, Um, but they couldn't give me any updates on that this week because I asked because boy, would I love to get rid of Comcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can I just be a huge nerd and say that before the age of app stores for smartphones and everything needing to be approved by uh, big companies that uh, want to have nice cozy relationship with carriers, it was relatively easy to get software for or um, Palm OS, or Windows Mobile. Uh, the one that I liked was called PDA Net. And what it did is you would tether your phone to this app, and then the app would make it look to the network like you were just using your phone. The app would use the data. Not your computer, and so for a bunch of carriers that blocked tethering because that was like they would just straight up block tethering back in like yeah. two thousand four, two thousand six, in those those days, you could still tether because you could just use PDA net and not have to pay the extra fee that you would have to pay for tethering.
0: I am shocked
1: there isn't an
0: Android app that does this. There must be. There's got to be an Android developer right now who's listening to this who's already tweeting at you. It's at Backlon. Just let us know. So, Allison, you had a headline this week kind of pulling apart where T-Mobile is. I thought it was a great headline. T-Mobile has 5G leverage and isn't afraid to use it. And I think this ties into kind of the state of the industry right now. They bought Sprint. They have Sprint's network. They have Sprint's spectrum. They are ahead in that regard. At the same time, they're supposed to be helping Dish build a network or like, providing Dish with uh, an MVNO relationship so that Dish can become the fourth competitor. They're not really playing nice with Dish at all. Dish is kind of like nowhere to be found. But like Magenta Max is like unequivocally a good thing. Mm -hmm. So in my like swirl of is there enough competition? Is it working out? I kind of can't read this one. How do you feel about it?
2: Yeah, it's sort of like... uh you know, being being given some candy and you're sort of like, oh, this is tasty and exciting and you're not. Uh, <laughs> but there's a there's a bad man with the candy. No, that's <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> terrible. That's a terrible analogy. T-Mobile to the with bad chest. man.
1: Strong debut. <laughs> yeah. I think one of our one of our joke headlines that we almost like didn't realize was a joke was like T-Mobile Unlimited is good for customers, but bad for America.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's like the antitrust zone (laughs) right now is like, we're mad at Facebook for turning off news, but also like Facebook is making its product worse. And we're like, that's an antitrust violation. Like (laughs) we're just, we're all over the place, but it seems like they have the lead. I think maybe they're not, they're betting that not a lot of people are going to sign up for their most expensive plan so they can offer this thing that makes the other networks look bad that the other networks can't offer at the same time. Right. Like Sprint customers are just T-Mobile customers now, and there's not a fourth carrier to provide low cost competition because Dish basically doesn't exist.
2: Yeah, it's kind of it's a little bit of a distraction, I think. Like it is a good thing. It's a good plan. And it's sort of like, yeah, jump on it if, you know, T-Mobile is good for you and you use a lot of data. It makes sense. But it's sort of like, let's not forget, you know why they're in that position and that we used to have four carriers we could choose from. And now we have three and things are going to change. Like these plans are always changing. They're always going to be complicated and difficult to understand. And, you know, you gain something here, but um, maybe lose something here. And it's, you know, easy to lose sight of like they are businesses that are, just trying to make a profit and we we need these services like clearly this this year is shown and yeah yeah it's important to keep an eye on those guys
0: so friend of the verge house singer who's an economist wrote a piece for wired this week pulled no punches the terrible t-mobile and sprint merger must be undone Hal's not a fan he hasn't been a fan the whole time uh, i think he and some other economists actually wrote a submission to the fcc while this merger was going down arguing against it so you, I know where Helsinger's coming from, but here's his quote. So what was supposed to happen was the government allows T-Mobile and Sprint to merge. Then we're going to stand up Dish Network as the new fourth competitor. They're going to build from the ground up a 5G network with none of the baggage of 3G or 4G LTE to hold them back. And there's like a lot of stuff to talk about with that. But like that is sort of abstractly a great plan. So. Um, in India, for example, there's a, a carrier called Reliance Geo, which is a, a, a new carrier. They built an LTE network with none of the analog baggage of the previous networks, undercut everybody on price. India has LTE like explosive growth in internet usage in India because of this new LTE-first network. So maybe you can like import that strategy to DISH. They're going to build a wholly new 5G network, undercut everybody on price. We've got four competitors again. The world's a oyster. We're a long way from that. In the meantime, T-Mobile was supposed to provide its network to DISH so that DISH could function as a competitor somehow. But instead, they decided to shut down their 3G service, which DISH is using for boost. And it's like, where are those boost customers going to go? So this is like the thesis of Hal's piece is, we, like we, the government made this deal with T-Mobile and Sprint and DISH, assuming everyone would play nice. Why would you believe that they would play nice? And then Charlie Ergen, who runs Dish, said this week T-Mobile was not playing nice, and he said their decision to shut down the 3G CDMA network that Boost uses is anti-competitive, and it feels like Dish is just kind of nowhere in this game right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they did talk about um, you know their plans for 5G in their in their um, financial call this week that they are still on track to um roll out 5g in the first major cities i think by q3 this year but yeah that's kind of a big like would be a pretty big setback if they had to deal with a whole bunch of their customers who suddenly needing new devices and scrambling to deal with that so it's really not you know like t-mobile is sort of within their rights as far as the agreement Goes to do that, but it's not playing nice. And I think, yeah, Ergin's words, were he didn't mince words there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so then the last piece of the puzzle. So like in the near term, you've got AT and T and Verizon doing DSS slower five G networks. You've got this T Mobile position of a, like leverage and and power. You've got Dish sort of just stumbling around. That's like the short to medium term of what's happening. In the long term at and Verizon are going to get more spectrum because there was an auction this week and they effectively won.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this has been ongoing. Um, This FCC auction, kind of known as C-band, is going to make a lot of that mid-band spectrum, the really good stuff um, available to the carriers. So it was expected that Verizon and AT&T were two of the big bidders there, and that's what we found out this week's Verizon bid $45 billion, and AT&T came in with $23 billion. and T-Mobile really, you know, there was just filling in the gaps of what they already have, and they only spent $9 it sounds like, yeah,
1: <laughs> good deal. Well, and I saw that DISH was like $3 million or something, like they basically were non-existent in this, so oh. maybe they didn't, felt they didn't need it.
2: yeah. I, I know they've kind of gotten their hands on Spectrum along the way. and mm-hmm. Yeah, Dish is famous for hoarding Spectrum.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, I think if they had, like, been aggressive in this auction, someone would have been like, no, actually, no. You have, like, you have to eat your vegetables. You can't just have them all. So that sort of makes sense to me. I think that the idea of T-Mobile filling in its gaps while having the strongest network and then the other two having to, like, fill huge chunks that means they're still like a year or two away.
2: Mm-hmm. So there's other providers on these frequencies right now, satellites, and they have some time to to clear out before Verizon, AT and T start using them. So that's going to start happening at the end of the year, um, but it's going to take well, you know, into the next year for more of those frequencies to become available. And even then, it's you know, it's not the flip of a switch. It's going to take. A while before a lot of people across the country see a big difference um, from those frequencies coming online for Verizon and ATT. So T Mobile's in a pretty good spot.
0: Are these bands our phones now already have support for, or do we need new phones?
2: That's another interesting piece of the puzzle. Um, iPhone 12s and Samsung S21s, those support C band and they're approved to use C band. But if you're talking about like more of the budget 5G phones in particular, they don't necessarily have support for the right bands. And it's sort of up to the um, mobile phone manufacturer to apply for that use with the FCC. So there's no guarantee that you'll actually get it.
0: I just put this together because you said C-band for the third time. C-band is like the old gigantic television dish, right? Oh, like the wow. huge ones. <laughs> I only know this because my, my friend Jeff in elementary school, his dad had one, and he got all the channels, and I was yeah, so no, jealous. Yeah, I, I had that friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was definitely like also like a hoarder of like old electronic parts. Jeff's house was cool. Jeff, if you're listening, <laughs> miss you, buddy. Um, <laughs> your dad was cool. But like, it's crazy to think that those old gigantic satellite dishes those bands are being repurposed in our cell phones, like mm-hmm. that's where we are. And like LTE, we repurposed all of the old analog TV spectrum. Like in many ways, the story of these next generation networks is we're turning off TV and like repurposing it for digital, which like makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny how like the old days of TVs are, are uh, the old day of TV is over, like at every level. Like we've shut down like every way that we used to get TV and we're moving it all to the, the internet and so we're like repurposing not only the networks but the delivery. There's a piece in there somewhere. There's like a wild there's a wild idea. Dieter, I'm looking for you, buddy. I'm sorry, what? I'm I'm assigning a hazy idea of a piece. Okay. That's Got what it. I
1: do on the show. I'm it? gonna write it. It'll be it'll be totally done. Um <laughs> There is one more auction coming, I guess. It's only like 100 megahertz of spectrum. I just want to point out that um, this 3.45, 3.55 uh, next auction that's coming up for 5G is a result of uh, a law that Congress passed called the Beat China for 5G Act of 2020 because 5G is a race.
2: I read that on the Internet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so on, the problem is not like the spectrum reallocation. like We're good at that. Like, the United States is good at reallocating spectrum and running auctions and selling it to Verizon. Like <laughs> as a as a government, like we've nailed that. The problem is like, where are you going to get the equipment to build the five G networks if you can't buy Huawei equipment? Uh-huh. And like smaller ISPs, smaller service riders, like they're waiting for funds to rip out their existing Huawei uh, equipment and replace it. The program is literally called "rip and replace." I think, like, 18 months ago, we had Commissioner Starks and the FCC on, and he was already talking about rip and replace but before all the crazy happened. And the other problem is actually related to DISH. So, DISH wants to build something called an open radio access network, ORAN, which is open, not proprietary. So, this is, like, a very exciting idea. You get more vendors, you get a, and like, it doesn't work yet. It just doesn't. Like the proprietary systems work and the, the open interconnects don't. So allocating the spectrum, I think is not as much of the problem anymore as the, like, where, where does this stuff come from? And I don't think Congress can like pass a bill to make this, like, you can't like order Nokia to be like, be better at being Nokia. I mean, you could try. (laughs) I mean, I have ordered Nokia to be better at being Nokia for like a decade. (laughs) Allison, what happens next here?
2: We just kind of hang tight, I think. And, you know, we've, Dieter and I have talked about, you know, whether it makes sense to buy a 5G phone right now. And the guidance, Oh, you know, last year certainly was like, don't, don't go out and buy a 5G phone just because it's the next cool thing. Like, it's not going to be a big deal for a while. Um, that's sort of shifting this year is like, if you're a due for an upgrade and you're shopping around... It's not the worst idea, um, especially if you're going to hang on to your phone for three or four years, and in particular if you're looking at the higher the flagships that are you know ready for C band and all the the various flavors of five G. So yeah, I think that's something to to have at the front of mind if you're looking for a phone, and that's kind of the only thing that we have to worry about right now. It's it's the networks getting getting into gear
0: if only <laughs> i wish i had a 5g e-switch on my at&t phone really really come full circle all right alice thank you so much we're gonna have you back soon that was great
2: thank you it was so much fun
0: all right we'll be back in a minute with ashley carmen talk about spotify and twitter we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by Babbel, the first ever language learning app and the best selling Babbel makes it easy to learn a new language with bite-sized lessons that you'll actually use in the real world to communicate with actual human beings in a normal, natural way. Basically, it's not going to turn you into a robot that spews random vocabulary words all over the place. With Babel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, German, and Italian. Unlike the infamous language classes you took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with practical conversations in mind, using lesson plans sourced from over 100 living, breathing language experts. There's no AI here, unlike other language learning platforms out there. If you ever thought about taking on a new language, but were never sure where to start, Babbel's fixed that just for you. Babbel offers a proven approach that's helped real people have real conversations in languages outside of their native tongue. And right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com, that's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, for an extra three months free. Babbel, language for life. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. This year, the wisest investors with well-balanced, diversified portfolios are doing more than collecting the standard blend of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. While that might have been an ideal combination in the past, studies have shown that portfolios with private real estate offer a better return and more consistent performance. And now, thanks to Fundrise, every investor can add private real estate to their portfolios. Fundrise makes it easy for virtually every investor to balance their portfolio with their industry-leading, easy-to-use platform. Maybe you'd like to add a bit of cash flow through regular dividends, or maybe you'd rather build consistent, long-term growth through steady appreciation. Either way, Fundrise makes investing in private real estate simple and painless. Fundrise is powered by a tireless team of real estate professionals that carefully vets and manages all of their real estate projects, so you can rest assured that you're investing in thoughtfully selected properties. See for yourself how 130,000 investors have built a better portfolio with private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started. Go to Fundrise.com today. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E E.com. We're back with Ashley Carmen. What's up, Ash? Hello. There's a lot going on this week. Let's start with Spotify. You interviewed Daniel Ek, CEO of Spotify, this week because they had a gigantic event. What, what happened with them?
3: So Spotify decided to do kind of like the Apple thing where they did a stream on event, their first ever, which they used as an opportunity to really talk about their ambitions in audio. So that includes music. But honestly, 75% of the presentation was about their podcasting ambitions. They made a bunch of announcements that none of which were huge, 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 like groundbreaking announcements, but they did announce a hi-fi tier coming, which is exciting for many people, maybe not for me, but for many people.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I just think it, I, I put this on Twitter, but like, it's so funny that all we, when people, what, all these services, they announce their Hi Fi tier and they're like CD quality audio. And it's like, dude, most of the people subscribe to you have never owned a CD in their lives. And the people yeah. who did, like, totally forgot what they sound like.
3: <laughs> I don't remember them sounding very good. They were <laughs> bouncing in the car and skipping. Yeah. Like, yeah. and you're,
0: most people are like listening to them over AAC on their airpods like i don't know like I, convenience is one over quality i'm very excited for spotify hi-fi i don't mean to, to integrate i just think the way yeah, that
1: I, these companies talk about it i definitely went to the one of the websites that lets you listen to like the hi-fi version versus the regular version it's actually they do three and then yeah you, there's like a x and b and they play two of them and you're supposed to like figure out these two are the same these two are not the same which was which one is the odd one out and then you listen to a bunch of them i just completely whiffed it just completely failed it <laughs> i can't hear it i'm old My ears are shot from concerts.
0: I think it's time. Like, we live in a world of somewhat abundant bandwidth. Like, I hesitate in, like, our Zoom society if there's enough bandwidth. It's, like, obviously not true. But somewhat abundant bandwidth, inefficiently distributed. And so it's, like, time to, like, up the bit rates for all the music and all the videos. Yeah. But, like, you got to build in. Like, Tidal didn't work. This is what Tidal was trying to sell you. (laughs) It like didn't happen. Anyway, this that's the smallest bit of news. I'm excited for it. We're definitely going to do the video where we make a bunch of people try to listen to it and see if they can tell. It's the only thing to do in reaction to it. Like the blind taste test, like the Pepsi challenge. I love making those videos. <laughs> we'll do it. it that, that time's going to come. But the rest of their news is a little more interesting. Like Their podcast ambitions are vast.
3: Mm-hmm. They
0: haven't quite played out. And then like next to it is Clubhouse, which is like having a moment. So put that all in the context.
3: Yeah. So podcasting ambition wise, Spotify has really tried to position itself as sort of the center of the podcasting universe. It wants to be the place you come for all your shows, but also for Spotify exclusive programming. They've inked deals with some big names. I'm sure everyone has seen like... Michelle Obama. They announced during this event a podcast with a Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen as co-hosts. Which I was like, "What?
0: I, wait, I truly do not understand that pairing." <laughs> Bear, is it called Barry and Bruce?
3: It's called Renegades.
0: <laughs> what? Because that's yeah. a Secret Service code name.
3: Uh, <laughs> wow, I see. That's that, I didn't know that. I, was I, just, just like, cool. I just read
0: the book, so I books.
3: <laughs> Okay. Uh, so like they announced that and they they have the content kind of locked down. They have the listening platform locked down or they want to. Right now they're basically competing against Apple for podcast dominance. But like we don't really know who's winning. It could be Spotify at this point. They've bought a hosting platform called Megaphone. So they are now trying to get into a hosting third party platform, third party shows, as well as selling ads for those shows and letting them use Spotify Special technology to insert ads into shows. And they have this creation part locked down with their acquisition of Anchor, which the idea is to basically get as many podcasters into the space as possible and in a dream world, help them monetize, which I published a report a few weeks ago at this point about Anchor sponsorships not really panning out. And I don't necessarily know that this event proved me wrong, but they what the big announcement this event was that they are fully launching their ad networks. They will now be able to sell ads for podcasts outside of their network and insert them into their streaming ad insertion technology. So stream them on the fly as people are listening.
0: There's many layers here. Yeah. But if you can be where the most money is, you'll, you'll win in general. Like that is the Google advertising story. That is the Facebook advertising story. You can just put it onto Spotify. If Spotify is where it's easiest to buy the ads, easiest to target them to people, and then easiest for people to get paid. They can just be like YouTube for podcasts.
3: Yes. I mean, Megaphone right now is mostly enterprise, like big organizations. I think
0: I have to just, we use Megaphone.
3: So like, that's an idea of scale. Whereas Anchor was sort of this hosting platform for the smaller creators. And they said leading, quote unquote, Anchor creators would be allowed to use this marketplace for ads. So I don't know if they've totally solved the YouTube part of this, where you have kind of the indie smaller people on there, but... The one thing they do offer, and this is really the differentiator between any other podcast ad network and Spotify, is the audience targeting, because all of this leads to Spotify having ton of data about how people listen to audio, why are they doing it, when they're doing it, who they are, their credit card, all that stuff. They have that data, and they can use it to target against you in podcast ads, and that's new.
0: So I'm going to cross-promote my other show. So we had Melissa Grady, the CMO of Cadillac, and what I, I had her on because- Cookies are going away from the web and like Apple and Facebook are having their cookie fight and Google's like around it. So what advertisers like her are looking at is first party data. Who has the most data? So you don't have to like leave a cookie on the website. You can just go to Spotify. Spotify has all the data. It has all the audience segments. So I'm looking for 45 year old CEOs who've purchased a Cadillac in the past 10 years. I'm going to make them listen to Escalade ads. And then she can just order that up from Spotify, and it'll go across all the the podcasts automatically as those people stream on Spotify, because Spotify is delivering you a stream. The part I don't understand, and that's that's advertising in the internet. I just described the model for all advertising in the internet.
3: And to be clear, that's probably a ways off for Spotify, but that's the end goal dream.
0: The thing I don't understand is that makes sense when you're streaming on Spotify, because they're streaming you the data, and they know who you are because you're logged into Spotify. For I'm guessing most listeners are not listening to us on Spotify. They just downloaded a file through an RSS feed and there's no cookie exchange. There's no identifier. Do they explain how they're solving that problem? Because that was a big claim that I Mm -hmm. don't understand that like leads right into the
1: cookie war. Cookie War, Cookie Apocalypse. I've heard it's called. <laughs> it's called Cookie Apocalypse. I have many okay. emotions about it.
3: They really haven't said how downloads play into this. I mean, obviously they can insert. So you do have dynamic ad insertion. Which yeah,
0: we, the reason we don't have chapter markers, everyone always asks us because I don't know how long the ads will be. Because we have dynamic ad insertion.
3: Yeah, which makes decisions based off of data that it knows about the listener or or based on... Well, you could swap out the listener. So if, for example, it's Valentine's Day when someone's listening, they might get a flowers.com ad dynamically inserted because we're running that campaign. Not actually, but theoretically. And then two weeks later, it's St. Patrick's Day. So maybe we're running an ad for Guinness. We swap that into the back catalog. It basically makes it so your ads aren't static, Yeah. but they haven't talked about... Streaming versus downloads—they really, I think, believe that they will convert everybody to streaming. I mean, personally, I don't download podcasts; I I do stream through Spotify.
0: Yeah, I think that the the being able to monetize your back catalog again—I'm just making the, the YouTube comparison. Like we know a lot of YouTubers having the huge catalog is like what generates the stable revenue for you, and then you make the next video and like, yep, YouTubers have to be on the grind, and that, there's a lot of creator economy stuff there but if you only get paid for the video once, like you don't have a business. Like they've all said that to us. If you only get paid for the podcast once, you you kind of don't have a business. If your back catalog is making you money, like now you're like able to grow. But like if you can't target, like I still don't understand that targeting piece.
1: And it sounds like Spotify didn't explain it at all. I mean, Spotify is not claiming that they can target, you know, there's some kind of targeting you can do with RSS, but not not a ton. And I'm doubting that Spotify like is going to try and Solve that problem. They're just going to, they're just going to, they can target people very, very accurately if you're using the Spotify app. But if I'm downloading Pocket with Pocket Casts via, you know, a feed that Spotify happens to be hosting, I don't think they're that, like, that's a small enough market for them that they probably don't care.
0: That's the entire iOS market with preloaded, right? Like, that's how they jump on Apple because everybody in Apple Podcasts now becomes a Spotify customer or, all the podcasts in Apple Podcasts are not being monetized by Spotify as right. opposed to Apple Podcast Plus or whatever nonsense they're going to do.
3: Spotify really seems hyper-focused on this idea of it's really concerned and the, the thing that's going to bring the advertisers over is the streaming ad insertion. That's why you're coming to them because you can target, you're going to get it dynamically inserted through streaming ad insertion. The, if they make money off of inserting dynamically for Apple Podcasts, your show, that's just like cash. Like they're not, like it's. Okay, like you're already here. You're part of our system. So there we go.
0: How does that play into their like exclusive strategy? Right. They have they have Joe Rogan. He's exclusive. They bought The Ringer. They bought Gimlet. Some of those shows are still everywhere, but they're definitely going to make more exclusives. Right.
3: Yeah. Seemingly. I mean, this is a question that I posed to Daniel Eck, just saying, basically, exclusives to me seem kind of counterintuitive to advertising because obviously advertisers want to reach as many people as possible. Whereas when you're exclusive, you're limiting your audience. He didn't really have a good answer. <laughs> I didn't really get a good answer. I, I don't know. What I will say is the Michelle Obama podcast, and I don't know why this is the case, but the Michelle Obama podcast did become a non-exclusive after its first season. So what they could be doing is the strategy of like, okay, we're going to try to get you over and then we'll go open to get the ads out to everybody.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the exclusive strategy makes perfect sense to me. I don't think it's that complicated. Spotify wants you to use Spotify to listen to podcasts. If they can get you to come to listen to one show, they're betting that you're going to be annoyed at having two different podcast apps, and then you'll just switch over to Spotify so it's all on one app. The end. Yeah,
0: and then maybe publishers are going to just be happier with their Spotify monetization. It just, it makes them the YouTube of podcasts, which is either great, I'm assuming if you work at Spotify, you think that's great, or it's horrible, And I feel like the podcast ecosystem, which is very much about open protocols and not tracking and all this stuff, like, they are not so happy with this.
3: Yeah. I mean, this is the whole podcasting dilemma is you have people on one side who are like, it's open and free and amazing. And then you have people on the other side that are like, how dare you make exclusives and not use RSS? That's not even a podcast. And then... (laughs) You yeah. know, you have the whole data tracking aspect of it, which is just like consumers being worried about it. I mean, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here.
1: I mean, but doesn't it fundamentally boil down to open is great and uh, RSS is great, open standards, uh, freedom, hooray. And Spotify saying, money, we've got money, we'll pay you. <laughs> You'll make money over here, more of it.
3: I mean, yes. I don't know how interesting that is to established creators. Like that might, that right. seems like it's interesting to the big stars who like Michelle Obama. It's like, okay, I don't know how much Spotify paying her, but I'm going to guess it's really good. And then to maybe the Joe Rogans and maybe to the small creators who are like, I'm going to get on anchor and hope I can make my podcast career happen. But right. for the people in the middle who are like decently sized, maybe can make an income off of podcasting. I don't really know what the sell is there for them.
0: Yeah. So you talked to, you, you talked to Danny Luck for a while. What, what else stood out from that conversation?
3: So he mentioned Clubhouse, which mm-hmm. we had to bring up, of course. Everyone knows Clubhouse is a social audio app, super buzzy right now. I just asked him, would this be something Spotify is interested in potentially building? If you want to be the place for audio, this is the thing happening in audio right now. He just said that they're keeping an eye on it. Of course. But to me, the thing that's more that Spotify has to worry about more than just like, oh, people are talking to each other on an app is it is taking people away From podcasts, one hundred percent, the time that they are spending in Clubhouse is time they might have spent in a podcast. I've spoken to a few like super users of Clubhouse, and they truly are like, oh yeah, I just sit at home and listen to Clubhouse. Like that's that's wild to me.
1: I will tell you that um, my since I got Clubhouse, my routine used to be: I'm going to make dinner, start a podcast, make dinner. Now it's I'm going to make dinner. Is anything going on in Clubhouse that I care about? No, I'm going to listen to a podcast. <laughs> and like one or tw- once or twice, I, there's been one like, okay, I'll, I'll listen to that room. Yeah, my
0: routine is we have dinner, but he goes to bed at nine because she's an adult. I open Clubhouse. And then I text Ashley, I can't listen to this anymore.
3: And then I close it. <laughs> because I'm definitely in the room. I will say, like, it was really telling to me that I went to go pick up food the other night, and my boyfriend's on Clubhouse now, and he's like, not tech guy, like, whatever. So he went to go pick up food at a different place. So we were separated for a moment. I immediately pulled out Clubhouse <laughs> to listen to it. I see he's already in a room. He pulled wow. out his phone to go listen to Clubhouse. And that moment, I was like, wow, there's something to this. Because both of us, instead of pulling out our podcast, we were like, you know, we'll just jump into a Clubhouse room. Different rooms, but we were in it.
1: There's also the real like Clubhouse back channel thing that happens where like, you're in a room, you see somebody else in the room, and then you start texting each other about yes. what's going on.
0: Yeah. That's Clubhouse, more have. than any app in the world, Clubhouse needs a messaging function. But yeah. I'm sure they they need a lot of other things. Yeah. But so yeah. Ashley, your point about Eck and him being like, our competition is attention. Like that's also what Reed Hastings says about Netflix. And for, like, he's like, my competition is Fortnite. Like at some point, there's only a finite amount of attention. Like if your business model is I will capture all of the attention. It, it just doesn't seem like you can possibly win. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of things competing for everyone's attention all of the time. And I just, I think Spotify and it's last earnings call, like all the analysts were like, is this podcast bet even playing, like paying off for you? And they, it doesn't seem like they have an answer yet.
3: I don't think we know. It's it's a question I would love the answer to. I mean, to me, paying off would mean that Joe Rogan comes over to Spotify. He's getting just as many listeners as he was before. He converted all of them or got some new ones. They're making money off of his ads as well. And they're breaking in subscriber revenue and converting some of those people who listen to Rogan to other shows. Like that, to me, is success right there. I don't know if that's the case.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Clubhouse, we should talk about Twitter. Twitter had an event today. They sort of formally announced Spaces, which is their Clubhouse competitor. It's already out. People are using it. Shout out to our friend Sam Sheffer, who's like rocking on Twitter Spaces every day. They also announced super follows where people can like pay to get exclusive content like a subscri- like a subscription Twitter built into the thing, which is why – like they announced a bunch of stuff. They also announced a bunch of anti-harassment stuff like auto-blocking and, and mute. Where, what's your sense of Twitter in this moment? Like their new products are so the OG social network. It feels like the fallback for all these other – can they expand out?
3: I mean I was just shocked. Like, like it feels like they just all of a sudden woke up and were like, <laughs> yeah. oh – you guys have been doing a thing online. We should probably get in on that. Yeah. It's like, well, where have you been? They
0: were like pretty like self-reflective uh, about it See, Like Kayvon, who like there had a product we know is like, so we're going to do stuff now.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm so curious what that meeting was where they're like, hey guys, we got to build things now.
1: So they, there's, you know, private communities. They bought review, a newsletter thing, and now you can do super follows. So they basically are trying to be, and then the spaces. So they're trying to do like, a one-stop shop thing for creators, which is a really smart strategy. But if you're a creator, do you want to bet a big portion of your community, your parasocial relationship with them, and like your career on Twitter's ability to execute on product?
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: very, very loaded
0: silence. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like what you're re- the trade-off there, and like. Casey would make this argument, like, what is Substack really doing? It's letting people monetize their Twitter followings directly, right? Like, most journalists, at least that's what Substack is doing for journalists. Most journalists promote their work on Twitter, people click on the links to Twitter, something happens, and then hopefully you get money. With Substack, it's like, you want longer, good tweets from me? Like, pay this money, and I'll email them to you. That makes a lot of sense. There's no reason that can't just be built into Twitter. And then, like, something like a super follow is... Do you like my tweets? I'll give you more tweets for money. You don't have to leave this app and then maybe you can go to review.
3: That I don't get.
0: Oh, I think that people are going to go crazy for it. and It's going to go completely sideways.
3: (laughs) Like the
0: amount of super follow piracy that is about to happen on Twitter itself is going to be out of control. Like if you think Twitter has a moderation problem right now, can you imagine the like DMCA copyright situation they're going to find themselves in when people pirate Twitter onto Twitter? Just like
1: I'm ready for it. <laughs> I've never been so excited about anything. <laughs> the idea is like if you you like have a community of your like super tweet super fans, right? And so you're like it's basically like a subsection of Twitter just for you and your fans. But having seen Twitter try to talk about its product as a community um, and build products towards that, like it's it's kind of been messy, right? All the like this. This goes back to the famous interview that uh, Jack Dorsey did with Kara Swisher that just went completely sideways. It was meant to be just like an all-on Twitter interview, but the threads were so broken, so completely broken that he's like, "Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta fix the way the community works." And I don't know. I just. Again, I think it's a re- actually a really smart strategy. Like, Twitter woke up and, like, came up with, like, oh, yeah, no, we should serve creators. That's, a, that's actually a good idea. We should find ways for them to make money on our platform. That's a good idea. I think they should maybe buy Patreon or whatever. Like, all these are, seem like good ideas. Um, so it's great. I'm happy to see Twitter finally have good ideas. I want to see them execute on them.
0: Yeah, I will say that right now trending on Twitter is rip Twitter. because people... (laughs) (laughs) Great. That's pretty good. Uh, Okay, last piece of the puzzle, somewhat unrelated, but I've got both of you here, and you two, along with Becca and Monica, did our Apple
1: Fitness Plus review. How'd it go? I think it went great. I'm still using it after two months, but only like once, maybe twice a week, which is more than I was exercising before, I guess. Uh, But the thing that worked for me was using Apple Fitness Plus... Made it so that I'm thinking about just exercising more, which means I'm like outside exercising more than I used to. It like created this like habit for me. But that said, of the four of us, I'm definitely the one who does not have a habit of exercise uh, over the course of my life. And so it seems fine to me, but it's also really clear that I'm a noob when it comes to exercise subscriptions and I don't actually know enough. And uh, I don't need that much advanced stuff. Whereas people that use Peloton, people that actually do have a habit of exercise found that it's very broad, but not very deep. I don't know, Ashley, is that fair? Like broad, but not deep?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I've kind of spanned the gamut when it comes to exercise. I've obviously used to go to the cl- like health club and the classes there and then like followed one of my favorite instructors onto Zoom during the pandemic. And like what I liked there was the connection. Like he was able to literally talk to us through Zoom. I've done like beach body MLM, whatever stuff where it's like just super intense. I don't pay for it. I'm not going to out the person who Twitter piracy. I'm not going to out the person who uses beach body. But I will say, I have been privy to a beach body workout and it's really, really freaking hard, but it's a good workout. So you're like, okay, I'm coming to this because it's really difficult. And Peloton has just this magic of having the equipment plus great instructors, top of the line classes, the whole integrated experience. So Apple kind of had to fit in somewhere. I was really amazed with their diversity of instructors. I thought they did a good job, different body types, different ages. That was a huge thing. I wish there was more different body types, but you know, diversity, but the workouts themselves were fine. Like, I I don't know. It was sort of very run of the mill to me and they didn't even have filters so you could filter by the body part you want to work, which I still am like, that should be table stakes, like truly. I had to read the descriptions for every app so or every workout. So at the end of the day, I'm not mad about it. I just wouldn't personally probably choose to use it.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's the sort of thing where in two or three years of it, if they keep working on it, it will be really, really good, but they have to actually continue to invest in it in a real way. Um, that time to walk thing is like maybe a good sign. I don't know. Becca really liked it. The thing that got me is, uh, you know, I bought an exercise uh, trainer, a bike trainer for it, and then just realized, oh, in order to like have this work, I have to do a lot of extra thinking about how hard I'm exercising because they just tell you match my cadence. Sometimes they'll give you a cadence number. I had to like figure out how to get cadence information out of my bike, um, which was a whole other thing. Um, and so it's just not having the, the service connected to the equipment actually does make a difference you can feel it you can see your rings you can see your you know your burn bar that shows that your heart rate is higher than everybody else's because you're out of shape but like that's it um and it's nice but it's also you can tell that it is a little bit like kludgy it's not very apple because they you have to do it in their ecosystem but they can't control the other parts of the ecosystem and so they just have to like describe the bike the way you, they it's weird <laughs> There were two lines from
0: the video. Uh, they're both Ashley lines that stuck out. One was how much Apple stuff do I need to make this work? Because you <laughs> had to use it on your phone.
3: Yeah, it doesn't work on a MacBook, which to me is like, what?
0: Right. They definitely want you to have an iPad. Like uh, or like an Apple TV. Like so that to me is like part part of what you're describing, Dieter. And then you yeah, so were like, I already have a Peloton and I might be too far gone. Mm-hmm. Like at once, very true and also very worrisome that you're like, I'm just too deep into this cult. Like, you can't have me back. I
3: mean, you're going to be there pretty soon.
0: We'll see if it ever gets delivered. We ordered it in in like late November, early December, and it's still not here. Ashley has a great piece about that, too. Peloton is way behind on making these things. So maybe that's Apple's in, right? You can just buy any bike and get a Peloton-esque experience for much cheaper. But that Peloton community is real big. It is evangelical about the, about the product because the product is good. And like Apple has a long road to go.
3: I will say, yeah, if if I was using just a third party bike, I can't think of a default app I would go to for cycling content. So if that is what they think the in is, I would probably default to Apple because I'm like, I know Apple. Yeah, they probably make good things.
0: It's also I will say this, you know, like Apple TV Plus, they put it in your face. They just like give it away for free all the time. Fitness Plus is all over the iPhone right? Like it's in the settings menu of the phone. If you open the fitness app on your phone, it's like a tab right in front of you. Like they are pushing it as a service, as a paid part of the operating system in a way that they, they don't even do with the TV stuff. Like maybe like I, it's like iCloud fitness plus in terms of what Apple's trying to get you to buy when you have an iPhone and dear to your point, like, will they stay committed to it? Like Tim cook, Noted fitness buff says Apple's biggest contribution to society will be health and fitness. Maybe workout DVDs are the way, but I think that's just an entry point to like
1: what's next. Yeah. I mean, isn't it? It's pretty weird that Apple is getting beat on uh, by another company on the integration of software service and like happy. Shiny, everything is okay, culture, right? Like, yeah, that's 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 Apple's lane, and Peloton (laughs) is like pantsing them at it. Um, by the way, if you've got your own exercise bike and you're looking for an exercise app that is an Apple fitness, uh, it's Zwift, Z W I F T. It's very cool.
0: Okay, Ashley, thank you so much. We got to take a break. We'll be back with Julia Alexander to talk about the astonishing debut of Paramount Plus. This episode is brought to you by Editor X, the advanced web creation platform built for designers. Experience the creative potential of visual design software and the cutting-edge capabilities of a powerful website builder when you build your next site with Editor X. With responsive CSS combined with smooth drag-and-drop, you get a completely intuitive experience with total design freedom. And with custom breakpoints, Flexbox, and CSS Grid, you'll be building intricate layouts that seamlessly adjust across every screen. Editor X also offers massive range of built-in business solutions, from e-commerce and advanced SEO to blogs, event systems, and analytics, so you can build sites for any kind of business. With Editor X's powerful, code-free CMS, you and your clients can easily manage dynamic content behind the scenes. There's so much more to say, but see it for yourself and discover the new standard in web design at EditorX.com there's something about
2: you that's just different. Everyone knows it. You're one of a kind, and that's awesome. But it also makes it really hard to do your taxes. Luckily, TurboTax Live has a team of tax professionals ready to walk you through the process. Whether you started emceeing kids' birthday parties on Zoom this year and want to know if you can write off all that face paint, or you need some expert advice on all those invoices you've racked up doing voiceover work for podcast ads, the experts at TurboTax Live are ready for it all. Maybe you've got five questions about your taxes this year. Maybe you've got 50. Or maybe you just want the pros to file on your behalf. Whatever the case, the folks at TurboTax Live are ready to save the day this spring. TurboTax Live gives you the confidence that your uniquely you taxes are done right. Intuit TurboTax Live. File with the help of an expert or let an expert file for you. We're back.
0: Julia. Yes. You're here. Again. The streaming world has not slowed down. Yeah, last week was like, help me understand. And this week, it's like, wait, it all changed again. <laughs> all right, there was a lot. I don't I don't know how to feel about this, but Paramount Plus launched. I feel like the last few times we've had you on for a launch were like, Disney Plus is here. The landscape has changed. HBO Max is here. Can AT&T change? La-? And now I'm like, Paramount Plus is here. What's up with that? So help <laughs> me understand what's going on.
4: That would have been a great headline. Paramount Plus, up with that. Paramount Plus, yes. So it's here. It's the final of the big streaming launches. Thank God, uh, it is the final of the pluses for now, which is great. Um, it is basically CBS All Access turned up to ten. There, what happened with CBS merged or remerged with Viacom in 2019 and realized they had access to a bunch of stuff like spongebob again and they had access to jersey shore and a bunch of other things finally and they just decided we're going to throw this all into a streaming platform um, and the easiest way to think of it for verge Castle listeners is that it's basically peacock but with different types of shows and movies but it's the same kind of idea you're going to get some aspect of live sports and live news on the premium plan for ten dollars a month Um, There's an ad free coming in June where you'll get less stuff, but the whole idea is that you're going to have a huge library, some original shows, and then some aspect of linear TV.
0: So, uh, CBS All Access has existed for a long time. Uh They have never succeeded in signing me up. Was it a success before this?
4: We don't know. So, they combine streaming, uh, so, sorry, they combine subscriber numbers for CBS All Access and Showtime in the United States. By the time they had the Paramount Plus event yesterday, they had 19.2 million domestic across both those platforms. Um, to put that into perspective, Disney Plus globally has close to 100 million, reported about 40 million or domestic U.S. subscribers. So Disney Plus, if that's true, has done more in 14 months than Showtime and CBS All Access did in many years. But at the end of the day, part of the issue is that CBS and really is still a linear television business. So they've never really put stuff into it. They're like, we have this thing and we want to use it more, but we don't know what we're doing with it. And now it seems like the CEO, Bob Backish, and a bunch of other executives are there saying, we're now a streaming-focused company, even if we're not a streaming-first company.
1: Wait, there's (laughs) another Bob that we have to contend with in in streaming? yeah. So (laughs) in
4: my ranking of Bobs, Bob Backish comes in third, and then Bob Chapek is second, and then Bob Iger is untouchable at number one.
1: Got it. Got it.
0: But he stepped down. He's like an honorary number one.
4: He's still running stuff. He's doing, he has the greatest job. He stepped down and was like, I don't want to deal with all of this like boring business stuff. I just want to hang out with Kevin Feige and figure out Marvel stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then go to Clippers games. He has the best job in the world.
0: That's true. I mean, he was, he was also thinking about running for president, which I'm glad he didn't do. Cause the, you know, the Marvel, we got to, Take care of that. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of dominoes being set up that need to pay off at this point. So I'm looking at this list of what Paramount Plus is going to have: shows based on the Italian Job, on Fatal Attraction, on Flashdance, a bunch of old MTV, VH1 stuff. Like, what's the hit? There's a Frasier revival, which I'm I'm just proud of our team that we broke out a Frasier revival. <laughs> It's its own story.
4: Yeah, that was my decision. The <laughs> greatest thing that has happened over the last year or so is that editors have very graciously given me the ability to run certain events, and I'm like, oh, Frasier Revival, I'm writing about that. That's important <laughs> to my life.
0: Uh- <laughs> it's like we're, we got to bundle up Italian Job Fatal Attraction flash Flashdance.
1: Frasier gets its own story. <laughs>
4: yeah. so, did, uh, so
1: did Rugrats. The, by the way, a creepy 3 <laughs> d animated rugrats that does not look does not look good I, I made the joke that it looks like beast wars anyway none of these things are
0: i don't know netflix like famous at house of cards right like um the morning show on apple tv plus uh hbo max is st- still looking for it but search party is very good if you have hbo max it's like worth watching it's completely insane but it's very good Wh- what's their what's their hit
4: well, the, the HBO Max is a great comparison because HBO Max is still trying to find its hit, and I think they have some coming up that I'm very excited about. Um, and on the animation front, they have hits.
0: Sorry, I forgot to mention the Mandalorian.
4: Oh, on Disney yeah.
0: Plus, right, which like obviously drove a ton of that.
4: And WandaVision, week to week to week. WandaVision is like the biggest thing on Twitter. But so HBO Max is a great comparison because HBO Max is finding its hit, but the best thing about HBO Max is that you get HBO. You don't have to pay extra for it. Like you have everything coming as from HBO and that makes it worth in a lot of ways. Um and HBO Max is finding its stuff. I watched It's a Sin the other day, which is like a great mini-series from the BBC that they brought over, which is phenomenal, and everyone should watch it. Um <laughs> their whole thing Uh, paramount plus is that you are going to be so nostalgic uh that you will buy into this to watch (laughs) like criminal minds and the thing is it might work i don't think people realize how uh big criminal minds is in the united states it remains the most watched netflix thing almost week after week like it is the thing people are watching week after week according to Nielsen, which has its own issues but like that show people want to watch. If you regularly go down what people are watching in the United States, forty to fifty percent of the top ten shows are all Viacom CBS shows. Like they're constantly. It's NCIS. It's Criminal Minds. It's Schitt's Creek, which is pop. TV, which is owned by by ViacomCBS. And they're hoping that, like, they want to bring some of this over to Paramount Plus and you will eventually go over because you're like, I want to rewatch Criminal Minds, so I'll do that there. The issue, specifically with Paramount Plus, is that because it's not investing the same amount of money that Netflix or Disney is in sort of streaming section, they have to license out a lot of this stuff still. So last night, one of the big shows that they announced was an iCarly kind of sequel, which is big for anyone born after 90 1991. That's a very exciting thing for them, and if you ask someone, cool, that's a sequel, where can I watch the original? The first response would be, well, it's on Netflix. So you can go to Netflix, and the same thing with Avatar and The Legend of Korra, which are two huge Nickelodeon shows to the point that they are now spinning off an entire studio to just create more of this for Viacom, CBS, and Paramount+. If you ask people where they watch these shows, it's on Netflix, and they associate it with Netflix. They don't associate it with Viacom, CBS, and I think that's the main issue Paramount Plus is going to have. If you think about Disney, Disney lays out its brand entirely in every single ad. It's Disney, Pixar, Marvel, uh, Star Wars, National Geographic. You want, you have to go to Disney Plus to watch it. There's no other option. And with Paramount Plus, the idea is like, you might have to go to Paramount Plus, but there's a good chance it's also on Amazon or Hulu or Netflix.
1: <laughs> is that a is that a temporary until like the licenses? Run out and they just they take it all back, or is it a like a long term thing because they're they're not ever going to put enough money in it to like own their own IP and not want to get some residuals from Netflix or whatever? So it's always going to be kind of messy.
4: It's it's exactly that they they don't have the money to say we're just going to play the exclusive play and hopefully people sign up for ten bucks a month and we'll make money and we're fine on that end. Like they still want to buy uh, NFL rights, they still want to own a bunch of linear stuff. They the issue is that they have a TV division and they're like we have to be able. To put our content spend here, so they spent fifteen billion dollars on content in 2020. About one or two billion was streaming related. And to put that into comparison, uh, Netflix spent 17 to 18 billion last year alone. They don't have a TV division. Everything they spend goes to Netflix. Uh, Disney by 2024. When Viacom CBS is going to allocate $5 billion on content spending just for streaming, Disney's going to allocate 14 to $16 billion. So it's just like you can't compete with those numbers. Whereas Disney's saying we are streaming first and we are going to figure out a way to move a bunch of the stuff over. while while dealing with linear and, and moving away from it, Viacom CBS is kind of like we have this division. We don't want to get rid of it yet. We have affiliates and we have uh, things that we can't give up on that end. At the same time, we want to be streaming-focused. And I think what we're going to see over the next few years is companies realize they don't have to be content providers and own distribution. They can just be content providers because companies like Netflix and Hulu, are, which is Disney, will pay for the licensing. Like, they'll just say, sure, we need content to keep people. So, like, you can win Viacom by just doing what you're doing, which is just sell it.
0: So, but like, compare the strategy, though, to... To Peacock, right? So right. NBC is also a massive provider of traditional television. They also have football and live sports. They're so like very invested in that. Is Peacock more aggressive than this in terms of shifting the business to streaming? Or yeah. is CBS more aggressive?
4: I think the interesting answer is in the way they're launching. When Peacock launched, this whole thing was ad-supported. We want to focus on ad-supported. If you want to sign up for the ten dollars premium ad free, you can do so. But we assume that we're going to bring in cable subscribers who will just start using this and maybe use it more often, and we can sell targeted ads and therefore increase ad spending. And they get their stuff that in, in that regard. ViacomCBS um, with Paramount Plus is doing the opposite. They're launching with just premium. The ad free, the ad supported cheaper tier doesn't come until June. And part of that is, I think, one of the most glaring um, points that stood out from last night's event. When these companies launch streaming services, the main thing they say is like, our partner is T-Mobile. Our partner is Verizon. If you're on this, you're going to get this for free because that first year of like giving something away for free is super important to getting people to sign up. And then hopefully there's enough that you keep them. You know, I don't think I think Disney Plus is an interesting one because they had the Mandalorian. They were always going to get signups. But it helps that someone who uses Verizon is like, you know, I opened it up and my kids liked it or I really liked it and I'm just going to keep it. Paramount Plus doesn't have one yet. And Bob Akish was like, We're figuring it out. We're going to figure, like, we're going to, we'll have more details on that later, as everyone loves to say. But the fact that they didn't have this right at their investor event a week before launch is like somewhat concerning because the best way to get it out there is to have a partner in one of the carriers.
0: Everyone loves preloaded apps on their mid range Android phones. That's what we've all learned. I wanna I wanna come around to AT and T and talk about what they're doing with Directv in a minute. But you wrote two. I, I just want to check in on the content strategies of these these companies for a minute. So you you mentioned WandaVision. It's having a great run. Conceptually, just a wild show, but like it, very good for MCU fans to like have a thing they have to watch every Friday. Great um, and really well done. That's gonna stop and then Loki's gonna start, right? So like Disney's figured something out here. Right? We're just going to have a must-watch series that takes you from movie to movies. HBO Max and Peacock still looking for the hits, but you as you, you call them snackable television. They have The Office and Friends. How how is that all playing out? Right, like is this ecosystem settling down?
4: Disney knows that the amount that they're spending on the shows, they can't just drop it like Netflix in the way that you drop a show like Stranger Things. Um, two weeks later, it's out. No one cares. Like people are over it. They're done with it. Um, and Netflix, it doesn't matter because there's something new every week in terms of a new movie, an entirely new TV show, and there's enough library content that you're, like you're there. You're not going to leave it. With Disney, which has a very small library and not a great library, they know their whole thing that's keeping people around is either movies for kids, they don't have to worry about families, which I've talked about on this, po- on this podcast a bunch, but also weekly shows. They want to own Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They, and they do. Every week, it's like you look at Twitter and it's Mandalorian or it's WandaVision and then it'll be Falcon and Winter Soldier, and then it's Black Widow, and then it's Loki. And then they just keep doing it. And then you put in Pixar shows and a bunch of other stuff. And there's no reason to ever leave because week to week you feel like you're getting something of movie quality on Disney+. Um, but Disney also realizes that they need to bring more stuff in. And we saw that this week uh, with the launch of Star internationally, which um, Haim wrote a really great piece about. And the whole idea with the star was, what if we brought Hulu overseas? So we could give people more adult shows to watch. Like you can watch, uh, Modern Family or you can watch 24 and Prison Break or How I Met Your Mother. Um, and we'll just use this and people don't have to leave Disney Plus. And I think, you know, there's, I have this conversation a lot with analysts and the, the idea that you have to ask someone to leave an app, as you guys know, is such a huge thing. Or it's like if I have to leave, I don't want. I like it's. Just, I don't want to open something else up. So Disney was like, we're going to put a sixth tile, and you can just hit star, and it's basically Hulu, and you're going to be able to do this. And there's no reason for you to ever leave. That works for them because they have the kind of uh, must-watch television that generates that. For everyone else, you have to have snackable content, and that's what they're all banking on. That's Paramount Plus is banking on it. NBC Universal is banking on it with Peacock. Uh, HBO Max is banking on it with their library. And at some point, snackable content just becomes replaced. And I think a great example is Netflix. Netflix realized by 2014, 2015 that people were going to start taking their shows and movies back because they realized that streaming was going to be a thing. And so what they did was just replicated them. Like they literally made, I think it was like the real, uh, the real lives of Bollywood wives, which is just real. Like it's just, that's just real housewives. They made, they made Selling Sunset, which is a bunch of uh, discovery-type shows. They look at it, and it works, and they're like, "We'll just do it. And at the end of the day, people are happy with it. They don't need a specific show if they have something that feels similar, and they don't have to leave an app. And it's like, ah, I can just watch this.
0: I'd like to watch beautiful people yelling at each other now,
1: right? <laughs> and you just, like, push the button, and it just, like, happens. It's like the store brand of, of television.
0: It kind of is the store brand of television. <laughs> yeah, it is. I will say they have, like, some of the Netflix reality stuff is so, like... It's so obviously things that would never work on any other network, like the glass blowing show and like the blacksmithing show. Yeah. Like, you know that that was a pitch that Discovery was like, this is too much even for us. Like you want 10 episodes of blacksmith reality television. (laughs) <laughs> like, we can't do this and Netflix is like
4: yeah bring it in like this is great Ted's like I have money might as well just spend it uh but it but it works because people are on the app and they're late I'll talk on behalf of myself I'm lazy I don't want to leave it like there's something here surface what you want me to watch and I'll watch it uh like I'm an ideal consumer in that way and I think that's the other way to do it, is you have to just be everything for someone or like something for everyone like that's just that's the, what you have to figure out and I think Paramount plus has the library for sure. They have the shows and they have the movies and they have the IP, but their strategy is so weird that they're giving it to everyone else that it doesn't make you ever feel like, oh, I need Paramount Plus the way that I need Disney Plus or Netflix feels like at this scale, there's, I have to be on Netflix. And I think eventually you, we will, I don't think we'll see them give up on it, but I do think we'll see them say, okay, by 2024, we invest 5 billion. And then by 2028, we're actually going to invest Four we we're gonna go down because we don't think this is paying off for us and we'll figure out what to do with this but it's not going to be the life the game changer that we need a conversation i come back to regularly as i have with a bunch of analysts the streaming games feel more like like satiating the demands of executives at companies who feel like they should be in it because they're reading about it and they're, everyone's telling them about streaming like the, the whole streaming war situation instead of being like hey they want content. We make good content. We own amazing content. Uh, let's just sell it off at a higher b- at a higher price point.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't get you a promotion. Come on, you want to be? The-
4: I mean, John Stanky is CEO of AT and T, and <laughs> they've done nothing but lose
0: money. Actually, let's talk about AT and T for a second here, because uh, right before we we started recording, I mean, this is just AT and T. First of all, AT and T on CNN. The thing I would remind everybody. Just a ridiculous outcome of America, American business right now. But they also own DirecTV. They have a, an over-the-top cable service called AT&T TV now. It used to be called many other things. And they own Uverse, which was a straight-up cable company. And now they've combined them into one thing presumably to sell that thing, right?
4: Yeah, apparently I was talking to you guys and very much paying attention to this conversation while also looking at Twitter, because uh, the ATT <laughs> call was happening at the exact same time. Uh and a lot of the tweets that I saw from journalists were like, a- "John Stankey is not trying to hide the fact that a merge w- or with Dish, like at this point for Direct TV is out of the question." uh like they they realized that at some point before I came on the call was to me that John Stanky the CEO of AT&T said uh we did not realize when we completed the acquisition of DirecTV back in 2015 that this uh this would be the outcome which is a ridiculous thing to say when <laughs> like everybody said this is the only expected outcome I mean look some
0: people want their television from satellite not the internet obviously yeah like Uh, This is like, you know, I know I rail against mergers on this show all the time, but like, this is the argument to not let companies do mergers. Like, maybe DirecTV would have failed as an independent company. They definitely would have tried to not fail as opposed to AT&T bought them, did a bunch of layoffs from the jump, mismanaged it sideways, got basically no value out of the things that DirecTV owned. Like, DirecTV has Sunday ticket, right? It was just football season. Does any AT&T customer... gain any benefit from that corporate synergy like absolutely not
4: the best way that i've been thinking about maybe not the best way just the way that um it's fun for my like masochistic brain is that at&t bought directv for about 49 billion if i remember correctly um post the new version of directv is now worth 16.25 billion dollars and this is the best part i i think about, <laughs> i can't stop thinking about this of which they'll get seven billion dollars in cash, to which they will then pay down their debt that they incurred buying Directv. Like it's just, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you're like, maybe when people raised <laughs> questions about certain acquisitions, like we should listen because <laughs> this whole thing can be avoided. I just like
0: wouldn't have Directv have been like, man, we should do internet access and like been ahead of Starlink as opposed to Elon being like, I have an idea for a 45th company and I'm the only person in America who can execute. So I'm going to do Starlink, right? Like instead ATT AT&T just like mismanaged
4: it. I just like really want to reiterate for listeners, the the satellite business has been steadily declining for several years. Like it was steadily declining by 2015. And the best part that AT&T can do now, I think if I remember correctly off the top of my head, they lost like 618,000 customers in their last quarter so they had 16.2 or 3 million customers left uh, on this kind of satellite business. And the way that they talked about this was by saying, well, it's not as bad as it's been. You've only <laughs> had the company six years. It should not have been bad at all.
0: Amazing. Well, combine that with Uverse, combine it with their AT&T TV, which used to be called DirecTV now. They're just going to sell that to someone, right? Who are they going to sell that to?
4: Yeah, so the way it has now, so they have 70% stake in it. 30% stake uh, is now belongs to TPG, if I remember correctly. I don't actually know what the company is. Like, I don't know if it's like an investment thing. Um, but yeah, they're, I think the idea, based on the tweets that I saw, I haven't listened to the call yet, but I'm going to right after this if it's posted, uh, is the idea is that they're going to sell it off. I mean, their whole, like, part, so they're not selling HBO Max. This is not part of the deal. They're not giving up the Latin America, they're not getting regional sports. So there's a few things that AT&T is going to keep. And I think that's their way of saying like, this makes sense for what we want to do with our product. And our product is HBO Max, that they haven't shied away from that, it's Warner Media, And I think at this point, they're just trying to divest as much of <laughs> Direct TV as they can without it being a total embarrassment.
0: Can I just read this? So TPG is a private equity firm, TPG Capital. So I'm reading the press release. The two parties will establish a new company named Direct TV parentheses new direct tv <laughs> that will operate yes. at&t's <laughs> u.s businesses consisting of direct tv it's like what did you do <laughs> like our new company direct tv will be called new direct tv it's great i'm very uh very excited about this i can't wait for my parents to continually be upsold Uverse services all right Julie, are you, are you gonna subscribe to paramount plus yeah wow <laughs> Do they have Top Gun? This is my number one question. There's a new Top Gun movie. Do they have it?
4: Oh, yeah. So, no. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> what, they, what they do have, every answer is so complicated. You're like, oh. Uh, what they are going to do uh, is certain movies will premiere on Paramount Plus 45 days, 30 to 45 days after they're in theaters. So, uh, Mission Impossible 7 and A Quiet Place 2 will be on Paramount Plus 45 days after they're in theaters. And then other movies, Top Gun Maverick, uh, Bond will be on Paramount Plus 90 days after they're in theaters. And so what the first one means is that they're following in the footsteps of, of uh, NBC Universal and, and a couple of other companies who are like, there's no such thing as a theater window anymore. We're just going to do it ourselves, figure out how we bring this product to our streaming platforms to bring in subscribers, um, which we know Warner Media totally got rid of when they said, we're just going to put it on HBO Max day one. Uh, and their whole thing is like, we'll do that. We'll follow 45 days and then we'll move it over. Um, and then their big ones, which make money in theaters, they're going to basically make the pay one window, which is the big window that they would usually give to HBO or, or Showtime. Uh, they're going to put that on Paramount+. Plus first
0: and foremost. So I'm going to end up having this to subscribe to Paramount Plus to watch a Top Gun movie.
4: Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, obviously, I have to, I condemn piracy, but. You
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, you could, you could just, you just rent it. You just pay, pay six bucks and rent it.
4: I don't think the renting is six bucks anymore. I think it's like 20 bucks to rent. It.
1: Like it's like, it's, well, I yeah. mean, once it hits like the lot, the later rental window. Oh
4: yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm like, waiting. like on YouTube.
0: <laughs> Why would Let's I see. pay it in time when I can pay in money? I'm getting older, Dieter. <laughs> All right. We we're way over. We got to stop this. We got to wrap this up. Thank you to Julia. Thank you to Allison. Thank you to Ashley. What a, what a wild show. This is a good one. Please tell me if you're going to subscribe to Paramount Plus. I'm dying to know this information. Um, also, if you can help me figure out how to get my parents off of Uverse, that would be great. Just an ongoing problem for me. We'll be back next week. That's it. Rock and roll.
1: Wear a mask.